District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. Hello, everyone. I am back from my trip out west to Arizona and Utah, where I filmed a brand new batch of Conservation Nation episodes relating to public lands. I will give you a little preview today as to what I saw. Additionally, we'll break down two quick stories relating to potential bans on lead, ammo, and tackle as it pertains to public land, fishing, and hunting opportunities, and what the implications from those are. It is good to be back in Virginia after nearly a week out west in the states of Arizona and Utah. If you follow me on social media, you saw that I was filming in many places, several national parks, national monuments, visited some tribal parks, got to see some state parks, and visited some other really, really unique places in between. I got to see a lot of different towns and cities. I got to explore Phoenix more and see a little bit more behind Salt Lake City as well, a city I've been to several times. But Phoenix, I really haven't spent that much time in, and I really enjoyed going to some of the nearby suburbs, unrelated to our filming, but for downtime, it was really nice to capture B-roll and explore a bit more. And I really liked Flagstaff and Sedona. I wish I had more time in Sedona because Sedona, we were driving through, they had signs to go trout fishing. It just lured me in. I was sold. But we went to a lot of different places, a lot of different national parks. We spoke to a lot of fascinating stakeholders. Conservation Nation will look a little different going forward. No big departure from what we've been doing. It's still a very conservation heavy show, but we're going to change it to make it a little more interactive. We do have still an emphasis on interviews, and you will meet four individuals that I spoke to, two in Utah, two in Arizona, very, very soon, and we'll introduce you to them, and we'll also feature more long-form conversations with them here. Whatever material we were not able to include, we will include it here on the podcast for you all in the next month or two, the next coming weeks to month or two, so you can look out for that. But, oh gosh, so many beautiful places. It's hard to describe what we all saw. We saw some wildlife, of course saw some elk. We couldn't film them because they were behind a gate. It was interesting. It was right outside Flagstaff and you see all the signs for elk to be mindful of them and cautious when driving. But we did get to see them, but they were behind a fence, interestingly enough. I'm not sure how everything is oriented there. Lots of mule deer. Got to see a bighorn sheep. I posted a video on social media about that from Grand Canyon. That was really cool. It was a female desert bighorn sheep and she was alone and it was cool using my new iPhone to get really really close footage of her from far away I could magnify it like up to nine times very cool stuff what else did we see we saw a lone bison in Antelope Island State Park that was great and it was gnat season so those bugs that are kind of like mosquitoes they're really bothersome they don't they're not exactly mosquitoes I'm not an entomologist so I'm not obviously opining on their similarities, but they're just as annoying as mosquitoes. And I think they can bite you, but they love to bite bison in Antelope State Park. So it was fun to go there, but the gnats were just kind of unbearable. So we were forewarned about gnat season there. But gosh, yeah, saw a lot of great stuff. Vistas, the weather was perfect. It was a little hot in Arizona, of course, with it largely being a desert, but Utah was a lot cooler. You could still see snow on the Wasatch Mountains. So going from like place to place and covering different terrain that I had never been to. I got to explore southeastern Utah more 
And just the drive was so beautiful. You would go from desert to mountain to farmland back to desert. It was just so great. And I totally recommend, even for leisure purposes, go make that whole route from like Phoenix to Salt Lake and everywhere in between. It was, I think we could have done a lot more even beyond the six days and seen more. But even just for the format that we had and the time allotments we had, it was great. I am so glad like my work trips for filming especially can be enjoyable and I can't wait for y'all to see the final products. We put a lot of heart and soul into that Madison and I and I think you guys will like the people we spoke to and the vistas that we captured and the wildlife too. So lots of great stuff coming and again we will have all long form conversations with the people I spoke with for you all. Just wait for it and you'll figure out who we have on very very soon. I want to keep you guys in suspense with the individuals we spoke to. If you have suggestions on what you would like to see covered, some topics we have not touched upon, I'm always looking for leads. If you have any leads in forestry, come talk to me. Send me a message via email and I will consider your requests or suggestions. We are still looking to finish filming our forestry video. We got some great content out of Pennsylvania. I'm still looking and talking to people out west in Montana. We are seeing if those leads will come to fruition But if you work in forestry and you would like to speak with me for Conservation Nation, let's talk. I'm going to do a deep dive for you all into this issue over whether or not there is merit behind banning lead tackle and bullets. I'm of the opinion that it is a wrong-headed, cost-prohibitive move, deliberately targets and restricts public access. Because how are you going to be able to hunt on public lands if you don't have the tools and resources to do so. This is also not new. This effort to ban lead tackle and bullets is not a new phenomenon. It's been going on for many, many years. It was brought back into the forefront when President Obama put a midnight order to ban lead tackle and bullets through his Fish and Wildlife Service Director Dan Ash at the last few weeks of his administration in 2016, December 2016. And there's always a routine congressional push. I think Senator Tammy Baldwin of Illinois has a bill to restrict and ban lead tackle and bullets on public lands with respect to hunting and fishing. So this is not a new phenomenon, but it's something to be worried about. If you partake in hunting and fishing activities on public lands, some of you are probably thinking, well, we can't use lead bullets when we go waterfowl hunting, and that's fine. I think there have been numerous studies done for waterfowl and the impact with respect to that. And until such conclusive evidence can be brought to the public about impact for other wildlife species, I'm of the mindset that we can still use lead tackle and bullets. Personally speaking, if it comes to the concern about people leaving stuff, I always leave nothing behind whenever I fish. I'm not, if I'm using a late uh, lead weight, it's very minuscule. It's not going to impact the environment that much. I'm not trashing my surroundings. It's briefly in the water if you're using a weight. I do fly fishing more so now, so I'm not really using so much of lead into that. But a lot of people do use lead weights and other lead materials for their fishing apparatus. And then a lot of people use lead bullets, obviously, to go hunting. So I just don't see why changing the policy, they think the government, especially this administration, thinks we're going to force people to It's very similar to detransition away from fossil fuels. Let's have people transition away forcibly from lead tackle and bullets to these alternatives, which are far more expensive, and we don't know the value, and maybe this is just a virtue signal. So nothing ever comes good 
from the government forcing you to abandon something. I'm not a fan of government coercion, and I think in this area, them potentially coercing the American public to abandon something that's cheap, that has not as much of a harmful effect as reported or some make it out to be. It's a lot cheaper, uh, it's a lot more accessible, and having it on hand could make your shooting or fishing experience a lot more enjoyable and a lot more feasible. Now this idea, because this administration has nothing better to do in my personal opinion, they want to somehow prioritize this as one of the biggest issues out there. There are no other pressing concerns. Why are they trying to keep sportsmen and women off public lands through enacting this potential prohibition? But not surprisingly, they are looking to possibly settle with Center for Biological Diversity. So it all goes into plan. I perhaps have a more sinister look on this and pardon, my frustration with this and I try to give deference and I try to give my due diligence and the benefit of the doubt, but like this seems like a deliberate action and it doesn't seem to be based in any logic. It's just a way to say, okay, we've identified a problem and we're not going to account for public opinion. We're not going to account for the cost that could be entailed. We don't really care about the loss of access so much because we want to appeal to our special interests and only allow those people on public lands. So it's a really, I would say, blatant disregard for the American public who wants to enjoy our public lands. So cost prohibitive, it's a way to keep people off public lands. A, the health risks to it, highly debatable. There's a big conversation, read it for yourself. In terms of accuracy with shooting, also debatable too. There's no conclusive one opinion. There are a lot of different opinions. So you have to do the research for yourself. And if you can afford alternatives, go for it. By all means, I've done with both. I just think I don't want to spend all this money more than I already can, and I think most people agree with me, to have a fun outdoor experience. It doesn't have to be an expensive experience in the outdoors. Here are the two updates. I'm sorry that was long-winded, but you guys need to know context behind what are the motivations to ban lead tackle and bullets. But the two most recent updates, over 20 Republican senators sent a letter to U.S. Fish and Wildlife Director Martha Williams expressing their dismay with this update and briefly what the letter is and i'm going to plug it into the show notes so you can read this and this relates to the sue and settle case potentially with center for biological diversity and then there's also a memo i'm going to read to you from ken perrott of the fredericksburg freelance star he obtained information about them wanting to pursue this in line kind of with this sue and settle case with cbd versus fish and wildlife service and they had said in this letter we understand that calls on the administration to phase out the use of lead ammo and tackle or otherwise reduce sportsmen's access to national wildlife refuges have resurfaced following the announcement that the Fish and Wildlife Service has entered into settlement negotiations with Center for Biological Diversity regarding a lawsuit on a previous decision to expand access on wildlife refuges that was about 2.2 million acres during the Trump administration summer 2020. As you know, hunting and fishing activities play an integral role in the conservation and management of wildlife and aquatic species. The National Wildlife Refuge Improvement Act of 1977 sought to leverage this conservation tool by ensuring hunting, fishing, and trapping would occur on any wildlife refuge where compatible. Passage of this law has led to the expansion of sportsman opportunities across the country, including the expansion last August and the expansion currently under litigation. Policies or actions that reduce or limit sportsmen's activities necessarily implicate wildlife conservation programs by affecting state agencies' revenues. Such policies or actions also handcuff wildlife managers by removing a critical conservation tool while needlessly alienating one of our original conservationists, sportsmen. 
Phasing out lead ammo and tackle on wildlife refuges would disproportionately affect lower-income households and those that depend on hunting and fishing for their subsistence as lead alternatives are more expensive. The impact of such a policy would be devastating to the sportsman heritage in our states. We are encouraged that a sportswoman with a first-hand knowledge of the intersection between federal policies and state wildlife conservation is leading U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in these discussions and encourage you to remain steadfast in defending sportsmen's access. And this was led by Senators Danes of Montana, Senator Langford of Oklahoma. And here is a, if you want to read their letter. So Senator Langford and Danes are the ones to have led Republicans in the Senate to urge Martha Williams to not cave to CBD versus Fish and Wildlife Service. Briefly summarize the letter for you, but read it to learn about their opposition to this settlement proceedings that is happening between the Center for Biological Diversity and Fish and Wildlife Service. And then let's talk about, they actually may be doing this even without this lawsuit. So Ken Parat of the Freelance Star, he is their outdoor writer. He has a column that runs every week and he obtained exclusive information. This was published May 11th. Phase out of lead ammunition stirs debate. And he focuses largely on the effects in Virginia and national wildlife refuges, but he hones us back to the national discussion about this. So he said the Fish and Wildlife Service recently released draft hunting plans for multiple national wildlife refuges, including some in Virginia. Contained in the proposals are steps to phase out hunting with lead ammunition. Such restrictions were previously related solely to waterfall at most locations, and he mentions Chincoteague and Wallops Island. National Wildlife Refuge draft hunt plan was published on May 2nd, stating for both refuges, the use of non-lead ammunition for proposed new hunting opportunities, raccoon, a possum, fox, coyote, plus rabbit, squirrel, and migratory birds at Wallops Island will be required upon implementation of this plan in 2022, end quote. The document adds that using non-lead ammunition for deer initially will be voluntary. After a four-year phase-in period, it will become mandatory in 2026. The plan reads, this phase-in option will allow hunters time to adapt to the new regulations without diminishing hunting opportunities on the refuges, the plan reads. Banning lead ammunition has been an agenda item for several special interest groups for years. And this was done, like I said, when former Fish and Wildlife Service Director Dan Ash issued a directive. This goes back to what Ken is saying, curbing the use of, quote, non-toxic ammunition and fishing tackle to the fullest extent practical on the agency's lands and waters by January 20. Jazinki overturned, like I said, once he was confirmed to the post. And Ken references... Mark Oliva, a frequent guest on the show, he is the National Shooting Sports Foundation public affairs manager. He called Ash's edict devoid of science, not only overturned, but excoriated by the U.S. House of Representatives Oversight Committee when they examined how this was done without stakeholder input or public notice. And Ken goes more so into detail about comment from Department of Wildlife Resources Director Ryan Brown and how this would impact in terms of discussion to ban lead tackle and bullets on Chincoteague and Wallops Island indicates federal staff met with representatives of the Virginia Department of Wildlife Resources with the lead ammo ban part of the discussion. A follow-up letter signed by DWR Director Ryan Brown on December 12, 2020 acknowledges federal interest in phasing out lead ammunition on the Potomac River NWR complex, Eastern Rivers NWR complex and the Great Dismal Swamp within the next five years. The letter states, quote, the DWR supports your intent to adopt hunting regulations that may include non-lead ammunition requirements on select fish and wildlife service refuges in the future and week. However, Ken notes in his article that Director Brown clarified DWR's position related to land ammunition, noting that the term support in December 2020 meant 
not object to phasing out lead ammo only on the property specified in the letter due to special concern. And he is quoted as saying, first, big picture wise, Brown wrote in response to an emailed query, DWR does not support banning lead ammunition for hunting. Good. I had a feeling they wouldn't, especially under the Yunkin administration. That wouldn't make sense. Although he is a holdover, I think, from the Northam administration, but he seems to be even keeled. While we are very aware of the discussion surrounding impacts of lead to wildlife and have spent a lot of time becoming knowledgeable on the topic, in my three years in this position, a general ban on lead is not something that we would have ever considered. Excellent. Brown shared that he contacted the Fish and Wildlife Service to express concern that Chincoteague and Wallops draft plan included a statement seeming to indicate that DWR supported a lead ban there. He asked if the draft could be corrected. Oh, so they are spreading misinformation. Believe it or not, unsurprising for this administration to do this. So he is misrepresenting what the DWR director, Ryan Brown, said in terms of support. Our letters didn't address Chincoteague and Wallop. Comments to staff sent in advance of publication of the proposal. I asked for more dialogue with the North... East Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies and Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies directors on the subject of late ammunition phase-outs since I'm hearing discussion of this topic from others as well. And Brown said that he plans to engage fellow state director members about the issue. And Ken explains that driving the continued push for a ban is the belief that eagles and other scavengers are susceptible to lead poisoning by ingesting lead fragments or pellets in the tissues, including gut piles of animals killed or wounded with lead ammunition. Some studies used x-rays of shot animals to assess bullet fragmentation. Others assessed cuts of meat or red lead blood levels. Proponents of lead bans tout these studies, some limited in scope, along with emotional arguments furthering their cause. Others believe the research is flawed and the call for more definitive testing, especially with modern bonded lead hunting bullets, which don't tend to fragment. And... The DWR Deer Program Manager, Matt Knox, penned an article called, quote, The Case for Copper in... 2018 Virginia wildlife deer forecast. And Ken says that he personally enjoys shooting copper ammo like the Barnes MZ expanders in his muzzle loaders or the discounted Remington copper solids. The ammo is expensive, but I judge the hunting performance worth it. For me, it was about performance, not about concerns about lead. And he quotes Marco Lova again, saying that the NSSF opposes banning traditional ammunition on public lands without scientific evidence that it poses population risks to wildlife. And Marcus quoted as saying, quote, while NSSF supports opening and expanding hunting opportunities on national wildlife refuges, the plan is an attempt to bait and switch hunters, he said. Hunters will be allowed greater access to public lands they should have been able to access for years, but will be restricted from using the ammunition of their choice without sound scientific evidence to support such a ban. Oliva believes lead bans are essentially attempts to limit hunting. Alternative ammunition is often unavailable or in limited supply and considerably more expensive, pricing some hunters out of their pastime. Oliva said a comprehensive definitive study is proposed relating to bonded bullet performance and fragmentation. Until such a study can be completed, he said NSSF urges all hunters to voice their position during the public comment period and demand that Fish and Wildlife Service, demand that National Wildlife Refuges produce policies based on sound scientific data. And he reads more. But that was a very good comprehensive read. And if you are wanting to send your comments, whether or not you live in Virginia, there is an email that Ken includes. It's called fishhuntrollcomments at fws.gov. And then you can put in Chincoteague National Wildlife Refuge if you hunt there. That's a lot to break down, but we had to go into detail because oftentimes the media obfuscates the story. Thank goodness for people like Ken Parrott and others who are also attuned to these issues, we will read out 
all news stories as best as we can. I think added context is important because I could just give you my opinion, but I don't want to give you my opinion. I want to read from source material what is actually happening. We'll read from letters. We'll read from articles. That's what we do in these type of long form podcasts. And that's what my goal is here at District of Conservation. So now you know that your ability to potentially hunt in a cost-effective manner could be impeded upon. And again, this is cyclical. This is not something new. We've seen a lot of politicians, especially those on the political left, try to do this. And the fact that they're resuscitating this amidst all the other problems we have goes to show that this is not out of sincerity, that this is out of actually faux outrage and meant to undermine your ability to hunt and fish on public lands. Let me know what you think. Do you agree? Disagree? I would love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. If you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe to us on your preferred podcast player. We recommend Apple Podcasts, where over 60% of our listenership hails from. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, which don't really populate, but follow us on social media to make sure you never miss a beat or a guest announcement. You can also find us on CFAC's website under District of Conservation under my profile, Gabriella Hoffman, to catch up on all different past episodes there. If you like what you hear, be sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple or wherever podcasts are played. Share the links, leave your reviews, and tell your friends about the show. Thanks for listening today. Stay tuned for more District of Conservation episodes.